What is the No Spin News all about? You know that this is a fact-based analysis news program. You know that. We avoid speculation. We don't do conspiracies here. We don't do party politics here. We're not nonpartisan. That's wrong. Not that. Okay, we are advocates for a stronger America and a more just society. We don't believe in communism. We don't believe in socialism. We don't believe in nihilism. We don't believe in the progressive woke culture. We think it is un-American. We don't support that. So you should know what we are. And it would then crystallize what we do. Listen to the No Spin News. Subscribe to Bill O'Reilly's podcast feed wherever podcasts are available. Hey, welcome to Politics by Faith, brought to you by Patriot Gold Group and the Public Square app. Thanks for being here. We did a special on the TV the other day about uh, Indians, about Native Americans. And it's fascinating because I like history. So I thought you may enjoy it. The last segment, we do a little bit on materialism, but really I just wanted to use that as a promotion to get people to listen to a week that we're going to do on uh, over Thanksgiving about pilgrims. But uh, so if you just wanna hear the politics by faith part at the end, you can just scoot, uh, you know, fast forward to the end. But I think you'll enjoy the whole thing. A lot of great history, a lot of great who we are, a lot of great react truth about how we owe so much of our character to what our founding grandfathers and the pilgrims learned from the Native Americans they encountered here. Very fascinating, I hope you enjoy. Hey, welcome to our special right here on the first TV, Cancelled History, the American Indian. Very excited for this special. There's been a, a lot of talking about Indians lately. We got our, our football teams, Redskins to Commanders. The Cleveland Indians are now the Guardians. Heaven forbid you name a team after any Indians. Uh, the number one TV show in America forever was Yellowstone. November is Native American Heritage Month. I got a whole month. And of course, we talk about Indians around Thanksgiving. Indians are a part of this country's history, an integral part. We shouldn't ignore them. But who is the American Indian? I want to get a full view, right? I feel like there's this uh, like, like revision, revisionist Marxist history, like this very uh, like a marginalized, oppressed history that's being imposed on you, Trail of Tears, we'll talk about that later. Right? And then there's like this counter of like, no, they're savages. So you, it's like one or the other, right? Either the Indians are ruthless savages who would scalp and flay men alive. To, to flay a man, they would, they would uh, tear the skin from their face and head and then disembowel the prisoner while still alive. That's true, they did that, some. One of the great historians of this era, he wrote the book called The Barbarous Years. He was a Harvard professor for like 60 years. He said the butchering that went on cannot be explained. It's like totally crazy amount of warfare happening. But butchering, right? When I think, you know, there's nothing different between then and today. There's nothing new under the sun. Hamas today is not an anomaly in human cruelty. It was all over the world. 
So that's one vision, right? And then you have this other where like the natives are this peaceful, gentle, you know, the crying Indian thing, right? Like one with the earth and peace with the land and all peoples, blah, blah, blah. So what is it? Well, both can be true. We can juggle both at the same time. And by the way, it wasn't just the natives, of course. It was the white man, too. We could be honest about this. No reason not to. Speaking of the dead Indians, uh, William Bradford, he was the governor of the Plymouth Colony, of course, he said it was a fearful sight to see them thus frying in the fire and the steams of, streams of blood quenching the same and horrible was the stink. He was talking about the Pequot War, 1636 to 1638. It was a couple of years. Colonists from Massachusetts and the natives there, the Pequots. 700 Indians were killed. Just brutal. From both sides, everyone was. Cotton Mather said in a little more than one hour, Hundreds of these barbarians were dismissed from the world that was burdened with them. And he said, he went on to say, heaven smiled. Mm, easy for us to say though, right? Oh, terrible people. Oh, they were so awful. We have no idea what it was like back then. This whole era is not studied nearly enough. But as a part of our history, it's important. I want to share one of, uh, one of these stories before we get to our wonderful guests. Uh, and we talk more about how instrumental natives were to the formation of the government we have today. And, and so much of our country do we owe to our Native Americans. I just hear me, hear me out here before you're like, oh, geez, we're just going to gonna praise it natives for an hour? Not, not, no, not fully. But this part's true. Iroquois, the Iroquois Indians, upstate New York. So quick background. America is the culmination of five chapters of history, five grand chapters. And each of these chapters resulted in something that our founding fathers took from and built into our constitution. And as we'll talk about later, built into the character of Americans. The first is ancient Egypt to Jerusalem, right? the tyranny of Pharaoh and the Israelites leading to the Ten Commandments. The second is ancient Greece, right? uh, Greek democracy. Number three is ancient Rome and the tyranny of the Tarquin family and, and Sextus and uh, all that led to the Roman Republic. Number four is England and the tyranny of King John led to the Magna Carta it's around the 1200s. And then the fifth, that word you see right there, how do who do waha? Hudi Noshani. Hudi Noshani. What is that? All right, here's the story. In upstate New York, there were six Indian tribes. They all lived close to each other. Uh, and they kept fighting with each other. So they decided to have a peace treaty, but even more than just a peace treaty, they created a system where they would join together and each tribe had their own sovereignty, their own rules, their own leaders. But on matters that affected all of them, they would join together. And they had, they had like, a, like a special group, the Grand Council of Chiefs that would meet together, um, representing each of the tribes together for big issues that affect, right? You with me? You see the parallels here with our constitution? And they had some rules. One of the rules was uh, no member of a tribe could hold more than one office in the Confederacy at once. Well, it's Article 1, Section 6, Clause 2. That's the emoluments clause. It says you can't hold two offices at once. There was an impeachment clause in the Iroquois constitution. They had two branches of sorts in their Confederacy. They had a process of declaring war. This is... Federalism, right? This is federalism, where the Confederacy had power over certain matters, but they left free the independent tribes, states in our case, to have control over their own 
local matters. And it was the tribes that made the Confederacy, just like it's the states that made the federal government, not the other way around. So our founders looked at this and they were amazed. They were amazed. And right around this time in England, uh, and then now in America, they were, they were this, this new focus on, on Athens and Rome. And here were these people in the new world who were living it out in their own unique way. 1744, the chief of the Onondaga tribe, he was giving a speech and he was urging the 13 American colonies to unite as one. You're like, what are you talking about, Sid? How can this be true? Indeed, he said, uh, this, this chief said, we heartily recommend union and a good agreement between you, our brethren. Never disagree, but preserve a strict friendship for one another, and thereby you as well as we will become the stronger. Our wise forefathers established union and amity between the five nations, five, there was a sixth, sort of, uh, that made us formidable. This has given us great weight and authority with our neighboring nations. We are a powerful confederacy. And by your observing the same methods our wise forefathers have taken, you will acquire fresh strength and power. Therefore, whatever befalls you, never fall out one with another. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's one, of, one of the Indian chiefs saying, hey, you 13 colonies, you guys should unite. You'll be, you'll be stronger if you do. Not only that, but one of the chiefs used a metaphor that one arrow can be snapped easily, but a bundle of, of arrows, a bundle of them, can't, can't snap a bundle of arrows. That was such a profound metaphor for our founding fathers. Have you ever seen this before? Do you know where I'm going next? Check out the seal of the United States of America. What's the eagle holding in his talon there? 13 arrows. from this chief of the Onondaga tribe. Isn't that amazing? The media has systematically lied to you. The Hunter Biden laptop story, the origin of COVID-19, the Trump-Russia collusion hoax, or how your money's being spent in Ukraine. Enough already with the lies. No more lies, hard truths only. That's what the Truth Podcast is all about. It's not standard conservative talking points. If you want that, go somewhere else. But if you want the hard truth delivered to you in a way that challenges you, and will challenge me intellectually, you're not going to find anything like this on the internet. Subscribe, download now, The Truth. In 1710, and I want to ask one of our guests more about this later, the Queen of England invited uh, these, these chiefs to come to London. Imagine this. The, the Four Kings of the Iroquois League. That's what this painting is called, The Four Kings, there they are. And they, they sailed across the ocean to meet with the Queen of England. What? And one of the chiefs was asked if he inherited his kingship. And the man said, Madam, family creates no distinction, but it's acts of wisdom and valor. The son, unequal to the father's glory, sinks to disgrace. And blood knows no honors, but what virtue bequeaths it. High and low, noble and ignoble, find no distinction from birth. Where mental and bodily qualities are found superior, that man gains authority over our hearts. The good he does his country is rewarded by glory and esteem, such as our manners and ideals. And the woman responded, do you want to be king? And he said, no, avarice is a detested vice. That's who these men were. And our founding fathers and grandfathers, they saw that. 
They felt that. They embraced that. And they made that a part of uh, our character as well. This idea of hereditary power, that's what they were fleeing when they fleed to the new world. And here we had these natives living it out already. Isn't that amazing? Ben Franklin, he saw this profoundly. He said it would be a strange thing if six nations of ignorant savages should be capable of forming a scheme for such a union and be able to execute it in such a manner as it's been in subsistent ages and appears insoluble, insoluble, indissoluble, and yet that a like union should be impracticable for 10 or a dozen English colonies. Like, they can do it and we can't. <laughs> this inspired people from the colonies to come together as one force, a bundle of arrows. And then... Uh, the federalist system we have today with our constitution. So again, we have Jerusalem. From Jerusalem, we have the Ten Commandments and the concept of law. Uh, Greece, we have now the concept of democracy where everyone plays a role. From Rome, we have the Republic, right? Uh, from, uh, from, from England in the Magna Carta in 1210, we have our freedom and individual rights. And our idea of federalism, we have a federal government that deals with some issues and independent states on everything else. That comes from the Iroquois nation in upstate New York. Pretty cool. So the first Thanksgiving aside and learning how to grow corn by putting fish in the dirt, right? That aside, we owe a lot of our country to our Indians. We should be grateful. I want to share another story at the end of the show of how we can still learn from them today. In fact, we desperately must. This is part of the story of our country. We don't need to... I just want to tell the truth. I just want to tell the truth. I don't, need to, I don't need to marginalize the natives like some sort of Marxist. Like, oh, poor, we owe them. Oh. I don't need to do that. I don't need to malign them. It's just what is. It's just the facts, just the truth. We have a professor from Hillsdale next, author of The DNA of Democracy after that, and then my favorite story of the Native Americans. That's the rest of our special today, and I'm grateful you're here. Native America, our, our lost history, canceled history, the Native Americans. Mike Slater, the first TV. Spread the word. Hey, I want to give you a reminder that this podcast has been brought to you by Public Square. And it's still sponsored. When you're doing your Christmas shopping, go to the Public Square app. Not only will you buy, find wonderful things, but you know that the money you're spending for your presents is going to people who share your values. This is about, it's about decoupling. You know everyone's talking about decoupling from China? I want to decouple from the woke Marxists in America. I want to decouple from them as much as possible. So go to the Public Square app and, and you, can, you will only be buying from people who share your values. So you can shop locally, which is awesome, of course. And you can go to local coffee shops owned by conservatives. Um, but also anything you buy online. So I'm just looking at categories. It's you know men's and women's clothing, baby clothing, outdoor recreation, vitamins and supplements, shoes, shooting, wonderful companies. Do, do your shopping in this app. And you can literally do it in the app too, but you just know you're working with good people. Oh, that's so value. So, va so, so I'm just, uh, it's a wonderful idea and they're executing it perfectly. So important. PublicSQ.com if you want to read more and, and read about the values that everyone who's selling something in here has to agree to. PublicSQ.com. Download the app for free. Let's use it this Christmas. Public Square. Well, 
Welcome back to our special Canceled History, the American Indian. I want to go right to a professor at Hillsdale College who is currently teaching a course on the American frontier. He's also the author of In Defense of Andrew Jackson, among other books, Professor Brad Berzer. Professor, how are you, sir? Mike, I'm doing great. Just got out of two classes. Everything's going well. It's a beautiful day here in Michigan as we're recording this. So, yeah, I can't complain. And thanks for having Love me. It, it means a lot. Tremendous, yeah, and I'd love to be taking your course. Maybe give us a little, uh, little, little uh, preview of this course that you're teaching right now about the frontier. What's the main thing you want your students to take away uh, as it relates to Native Americans? What do we need to know? Well, there are a lot of different things. So the, the main thrust of the course is really trying to figure out what happens when the American Indian encounters the American or the European white man. And, uh, and, and not just whites, but blacks and Asians and so forth. You've got this incredible ethnic mixing in the American West. You have very cosmopolitan cities like San Francisco or even Houston, which isn't exactly the American West, but a very cosmopolitan city, uh, a mixing of so many different ethnic groups. And what happens, I think, Mike, and I think what's always a, a little bit challenging for students is that we see that almost every single people in the world, it doesn't matter if we're talking about Southeast Asians or we're talking about Northern Europeans or even escaped slaves, almost every single people in the world benefited from the settlement of the American frontier with of course the extremely important exception of the American Indian who uh, just really had the tarnation knocked out of him. And uh, it, it was, uh, it's, a difficult, it's a difficult thing to study because it's hard to find any gray in it. Um, not that the Indians were perfect, they most certainly were not by any means. Uh, they could be very brutal, they could be very violent with one another, they warred with one another all the time. But uh, certainly when you look at what Americans did to the American Indians, it, it's, a difficult, it's a difficult situation, definitely. It, I, I couldn't fathom being back then from either perspective and seeing such different peoples, right? I, like imagine you're, you're, you're Native American and you see this giant ship come, <laughs> come your right. way. It's like, what in the right. world is happening here? And then you get here and you see this totally different culture in front of you. You're like, what? So how do these two people even pretend, of course they speak different languages too, but how do these people even pretend to relate to each other in any way? It's a great question, and they do relate to one another, which is astounding. I mean, absolutely astounding that they're able to figure each other out. So you get someone like Christopher Columbus, you know, our, our first great explorer, who comes over from Spain. He's an Italian, of course, but coming over from Spain. And when Christopher Columbus arrives, he arrives in what's now the Caribbean, and he finds that the Indians there are naked. And what a shock to him. Because, of course, the only people who are naked are Adam and Eve before the fall. And so one of the great questions that Columbus has to ask, and it's a question that will be debated in Euro European universities really for the next 40 years, is the question of what is the American Indian? Are they somehow unfallen humans? Are they animals? Are they humans just like Europeans are? This becomes a great question. And interestingly enough, it was one of the good popes of the time. There were a lot of bad popes at this moment in history, but it was one of the good popes, Pope Paul III, who in 1537 issued a declaration saying, at this point, 
Indians are human beings capable of salvation and capable of free will. So that, I guess, Mike, when you ask, how do we deal with one another? Those, those were open questions. And the Indians were just as fascinated about the Europeans as the Europeans were about the Indians. Uh, I also yeah, I love examples. Oh, go ahead, Mike, I'm sorry. Please go ahead. I, I just want to emphasize the fact that like one of the initial questions is, are these people human? Like that's like a foundational thing that we had to debate for decades. <laughs> It, uh, which is just amazing. It, it doesn't, right? It doesn't get more foundational than that, right? Yeah. <laughs> like as foundational as it gets. Um, but, but as you, you were, see, all right. You can see why there would be confusion, especially because of uh, again the nudity that you saw in the Caribbean. That was just shocking to the Europeans that they would see that, and they had no real cultural framework. But the other thing I was going to mention, Mike, uh, before I interrupted you, but you know, you look at someone like the French. And the French explorers who come over, they had great relations with the Indians. They always had great relations with the Indians. The moment French ships showed up in places like Rhode Island, the Rhode Island Indians, the natives there, rushed out to the ships and were utterly fascinated by these white men with beards. And the first thing they wanted to do was trade with them. <laughs> and so that that's an important part of the story as well. It's not always warfare. Quite often it's trade and people recognize that, my gosh, you know, there's a lot that we can give to each other. So even if we jump forward in history for a moment, you think about something like the Oregon Trail. You know, many people on the Oregon Trail died of disease. They died of accidental gunshots. They died of drowning. But Nowhere on the list of, say, the top 10 is being killed by Indians. And that's because the Indians recognize these are people they could trade with. So that's an important part of the story as well. Okay, well, that's interesting, too, because, like, listen, there's a lot of revisionist history going on in our universities, not Hillsdale, but the rest. So then there's this natural sure. uh, pushback against the two, right? So we hear all this stuff about stolen land. I've heard it my whole life about stolen land. Is there truth that, sure, some was stolen, but is it also some was traded or some was bought and some was legal. How do we make sense of that? Yeah, it, it was both. It was all, all of that above. Um, there's definitely stolen land. There's definitely land that's won through warfare, which would have been considered legitimate even by the Indians at the time, because it would have been a mutual actor against a mutual actor. There would have been something, uh, mm -hmm. to, you know, to use a very non-politically correct term, it would have been very manly to be able to do that. So you get a figure like Daniel Boone, was uh, certainly one of the most interesting figures in American history. And when he's able to wrestle land from the Shawnee Indians in Kentucky, the Shawnee aren't happy about it, but they accept it. They've lost. And uh, so there, there's a sense of equality in the way that they, they demonstrate against one another as well. But there are examples where we blatantly, that is we whites, uh, blatantly took land from the Indian. Uh, we stole it from them. We did so through very legal means at times, but there's no question that we took it from them. There are other cases. Uh, one of my favorite examples, there was a, a Miami chief. Miamis have nothing to do with Florida. They're located in Indiana and Northern Ohio and Michigan. I don't understand why the name is the same as Miami, Ohio, uh, of Miami, Florida, but the Miamis are different. But there was a, a great chief there who as soon as the treaty started, he said, fine, we'll, we'll negotiate treaties, but we're gonna do it individually. Every Indian member of my tribe gets to negotiate his own property. And so we're not doing it as a tribe, we're doing it individually. So you had figures like that as well, who really figured out the system right away.
and understood that, my gosh, these Americans really respect property rights. That's how we're going to fight them. We're going to fight them in the courts. Oh, wow. And they did it. Interesting. Um, Trail of Tears. So I hear your books about Andrew sure. Jackson. Uh, all we're told about the Trail of Tears is just bad. Just bad, bad, bad. And I don't know anything about it. All I know is bad. And I haven't even been curious enough, and I'm ashamed of this, but I haven't even been curious enough to be like, well, what was even the genesis of that? What was the excuse given at the time for the Trail of Tears? What do we need to know to give us a full understanding of it? Yeah, great, great question, Mike. And it's a difficult, difficult answer. Uh, not a happy one, but a difficult one. So in the 1820s, there had been an attempt to take a number of American Indians and voluntarily remove them if they were from the northern part of the United States to remove them to Kansas, if they were from the southern part of the United States to remove them to Oklahoma. And so a number of tribes did actually leave on their own without being forced to. Uh, we call these the old settlers who end up going to Kansas and mostly to Oklahoma, uh, but do go early on. Then Andrew Jackson, as president, when he comes into the presidency in 1829, he makes uh, a great statement, not great as in good, but important statement, that the Indians who live in the eastern part of the United States are absolutely threatened by the violence of their white neighbors. And Jackson, believe it or not, at the time is an absolute moderate on this issue. And he says, and he makes the case to Congress and Congress agrees with it. They pass what's called the Indian Removal Act. Congress goes along with Andrew Jackson and they decide that they should remove all American Indians from the East to Kansas and to Oklahoma. And so there were actually some good intentions in all of this because they were trying to get the Indians out of harm's way. It was not purely a land grab. It, it could become a land grab, don't get me wrong. And there were people who definitely took advantage in an immoral, unethical way. But there were also a lot of good intentions. The, the terrible part, Mike, and this is where you just see bureau, bureaucratic ineptitude, when the Indians were forcibly removed, they were removed, for example, the Choctaws were removed before the Trail of Tears. The Trail of Tears actually happens under Martin Van Buren, but there were earlier Trail of Tears uh, prior to that. So under Andrew Jackson, the Choctaws, one of the major tribes in the South was removed forcibly. And they were removed in the winter. And when they started off leaving from the American South, they had a population of about 18,000. 6,000 of those died on the trail out West. And then when they got to Oklahoma, none of the supplies that the US government had promised them to build for winter, build winter structures and so forth, none of them were waiting there. And so another 6,000 died. So you starting out with 18,000 Choctaw, and a year later, there are only 6,000 left. That, by you know, any measure, that's horrific, absolutely horrific. So it, it's not that the intentions were bad, but the enactment of those intentions was absolutely horrible. Plus, when the Indians get out to Oklahoma, you know, many Americans said, oh, well, you've got the red men of the East, we'll meet the red men of Oklahoma, and they'll be brothers. Well, that doesn't happen at all. The Comanche look at these Choctaws and Cherokees and they see white men. They don't see fellow Indians to help them as oh, their brothers. So it, it, it's yeah. a bad situation all around. Fellow invaders. All right, listen, I, I hate those. 
an entire college course should be dedicated to this professor. Uh, and I'm glad you're teaching. And unfortunately, we only have 10 minutes. I hope this inspires people to learn more, to read more. In Defense of Andrew Jackson is the name of, uh, of the specific book here. Brad Berzer, professor at Hillsdale College. Professor, great to talk to you, sir. Thank you very much. Always an honor, Mike. I hope we get to do it again. Yes, please. And, and thank you for telling truth to our, to our students at wonderful Hillsdale. Coming up next, Richard C. Lyons is here. We'll talk more, like we did in the first segment, but a little more about what we owe to the Native Americans who were here first in our government. It's next, Mike Slater on, on uh, the first TV. Spread the word. This podcast is brought to you by Patriot Gold Group. So grateful to them. Have you thought about gold? So the Republicans just passed another huge spending increase, of course, because they're useless and debt's gonna go up. Like you go back and you read quotes from from like, we don't have to go crazy like you don't have to go back to like, 1820 when they were worried about debt you go to like 1907 1980 1990 and they're like oh the debt is 400 million dollars <laughs> they're like well this is unsustainable 400 million and now the debt's 38 trillion or something trillion i didn't emphasize trillion so this is bad in every way the only thing it's good for is gold as debt goes up Gold goes up. The price of gold goes up. Now, that doesn't do you any good if you don't have any gold. So get some gold. And you can also talk with Patriot Gold Group about a no-fee-for-life IRA, where your IRA or 401k can be in physical gold and silver. Uh, so you can be called about that and just buy gold. If you have it, they mail it to you. It's crazy. It comes in the, like a FedEx guy. just hands you a box with gold in it. one 888 Like, isn't that wild that you can do that? I feel like you have to be the Chinese Central Bank or, or like Fort Knox to buy gold. You don't. Just go to call these guys. Patriot Gold Group. 1-888-617-6122. 888-617-6122. I should say you don't have to for now. Yet. You, you can still buy gold now. 1-888-617-6122. A top-rated gold IRA dealer seven years in a row from Consumer Affairs. 888 617 6122patriotgoldgroup.com Very excited to talk to our next guest. This is one of the books I recommend the most to people. I don't think there is a more easy to read, concise, and unbelievable, quite frankly, story of us that I've ever read than the book, The DNA of Democracy, and the newest follow-up, Shadows of the Acropolis. Richard C. Lyons is the author of those books. Mr. Lyons, how are you, sir? I'm very good, Mike, and good to see you. You as well. I say unbelievable as a compliment because so many times when I'm reading DNA of Democracy, I'm like, I, I would say that's not, there's no way that's true. Not, not even because it's unbelievable, because I've never heard that before. It's like, how could I have never heard this before, ever, and then I'd look it up again, and sure enough, you're 100% right, and your analysis uh, was perfect. And it's like, oh, well, that's great. So DNA of democracy, please go buy the book. So we're talking about Native Americans in, uh, in this special here. Tell us a yeah. little bit about the clash of cultures, the clash of worldviews. How, how different was the white man coming to the new world and these, these savages who were already here? Well, there was a really un unique mix of things happening, both in America and in Europe. In, in England, you had the Puritans trying to escape uh, the tyranny of the Anglican Church after Henry VIII. 
uh, and the divine right of kings came along. And so they were told what they could and could not believe. And so they just, they wanted to be free. Uh, and so ventured hostile seas to an unknown world and there found uh, the Native Americans who were as free as any people in human history because of the way they managed themselves their their idea of government was the government that governs least means that you have the most freedom now later we'll get to how that played into actually being a negative but it was one of their great virtues so when the puritans came over they were actually far more strict than the native americans but there was an interesting confluence of events at the same time that pilgrims were entering the north american continent their brethren back in Europe were discovering the ruins of Greece and Rome and the still existing constitutions, uh, not active constitutions, but they were in writing and could be read, the constitutions of, of Rome and Athens, for example, or Thebes or Sparta. And so here they came to the North American continent and found that there was an Iroquois league that had assemblies in the assemblies only those who were had merit could speak. They were the Sashas. They were those who did good works for their people. Those were they who were the most courageous. Uh, those were they who were the most productive in their tribes, whether they were of the Seneca or the Cayuga, uh, etc. And so there was a great confluence between the free peoples, uh, the example of the free peoples that were once in Europe, and the free peoples in North America. And it graduated into the concept of the natural man and the idea of natural rights. And those natural rights are what formed our constitution and bill of rights. Okay, so th this is what your book is. It's, it's taking these historical moments and weaving them together. I've never heard anyone weave them together so well. And that should have been my first question is what historical thing was happening in the 1600s that, right. that shaped the worldview of these first settlers. So maybe if you could just well, accentuate and, that again. What, what were they coming out of? Yeah. Well, you had the movement of humanism. And, well, there was the printing press, there was humanism, and there was the exploration of the manner in which the Greeks and the Romans governed themselves, which was variously as democ direct democracies and in Rome, republics. So there's that example. In America, they were encountering the Confederacy of the Iroquois League. All those three elements merged into our Constitution. From Athens, we get the idea of local governance and the assembly, direct assembly, where everybody has a voice and a vote. From Rome, we get the idea of representative government, which is in our federal government. From the Iroquois League, we got the idea reflected in the Federalist Papers. How does how do we manage to collectivize our defense while maintaining independence in our states and localities? So that confluence of events, that's what gave birth to our Constitution. Yeah, that's amazing. So what's this balance of the, the white man comes and they see these backwards primitive savages who are scalping people, or do they see these like, <laughs> like amazingly enlightened, I can't believe these people live in such a prosperous, not prosperous, that's different, but in such a natural way. Yeah, I, I put it in the book that they were, they were so successful as arborists 
that they took just enough out of the wilderness to maintain the wilderness as it is. Mm. They, they lived within the earth, not upon it. And they had a very different conception, and this is where it came to conflict. The different conception about the, the earth cannot be owned. It gives, it gives the great spirits gifts to humanity, but cannot be owned. Like you, you cannot own the great spirit. The great basis of freedom from the European perspective was in Europe, you were always subject to a landlord. You paid your rent to him all your life, but only his family owned the land. That's why you were subject to him or his family. John Locke, his philosophy came, which informed our uh, idea of property rights, came up with the idea that if one owns one's own property, he has a basis to defend his own rights. So you have one people native to the North American continent who could not conceive of property rights spiritually, and another people coming over from Europe who had never in history owned land. Their families had always been subject to landowners, but then thought that their acreage, their little farm, right, was their fortress. It was the basis of their rights. It was every man being king of his castle. So that merged into our uh, idea of property rights. And again, John Locke's idea of individual rights, individuals being the sovereign, not the government, entails individuals having the right to property. Yes, yes, unbelievable. Okay, tell, tell us about, you write about this in your book, it was, I think it was 1710, the, the four kings traveling over to England. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. And I just love this story because talk about a clash of cultures. Good night. I couldn't imagine being in England well, no, they, at this time. Actually, they were, they were so celebrated in England. This was the event in London. All the aristocracy from around uh, England came to London for this wondrous uh, show of this exotic people who everybody was thrilled to meet. And one of them, a key character, was Canessa Tego. And so he was being, he was just walking through the streets of London and people were going, hey, you're the Native American we've all heard about. And a woman came up to him and said, well, you must be a king. Look at how beautifully you're dressed. Are you a king? Is that why you're here? And he said, we don't have kings uh, in our tribe. We have sashams. We gain our uh our position in our tribe by merit, not by birth. And neither do we consider that we should spend our entire lives laying around while we plunder the goods of our people. We don't plunder other people, we earn our own worth. And that was a revolutionary idea in England. And it, just, and it seeped through both the people of England and it became part of the original American character and gave birth, and this whole, this whole milieu of, of peoples coming together and the idea of the natural man created also uh, the Declaration of Independence, the Declaration in France of the Rights of Man, and the French Revolution. When, they, when this example came from, from America for the Europeans to see, everyone in Europe said, well, why the hell are we servants to these people who lay around and spend their lives plundering us. 
They take all of our wealth and they use it to oppress us, right? They use it to fund the armies which oppress us. And so think of our revolution, Mike, when, when England took our taxes to fund a standing army in America, though we were not at war, and also funded the customs agents. So that is the perfect example, and I think it exists in America again today. When you give them a government power, that kind of power, they take your taxes and use it to oppress you. It's just amazing to me to, that, that the natives gave us an example of what could be that was so influential on yes. our founding and our founding fathers and our founding grandfathers. Uh, Richard, I don't think hey, we have to run. The but, American character. That's that's beautiful. Um, by the books, everyone. DNA of democracy. In the age of the Acropolis. It's all in there. By Richard C. Lyons and much more. Mr. Lyons, it's a pleasure, sir. Thank you. Great to see you again, Mike. Take care. Well done. You too, sir. Thank you. Coming up next, my favorite story of the Native Americans when uh, Ben Franklin uh, offered offered uh, this tribe, we will educate some of your, uh, of your youth, some of your kids. Bring them over. We'll make men out of them. How did the Natives respond? I'll share that story next. Mike Slater on The First TV. Spread the word. Hey, welcome back to our special here on The First TV, Canceled History, The American Indian. Here's one of my favorite stories about Native Americans. So Ben Franklin, in 1784, he wrote a letter called uh, Remarks Concerning the Savages of North America. And don't be turned off, he says a lot of wonderful things about him. He said, uh, having few artificial wants, they have abundance of leisure for improvement by conversation. Our laborious manner of life compared with theirs, they esteem slavish and base. And the learning on which we value ourselves, they regard as frivolous and useless. We're too materialistic for them, said Ben Franklin. So he tells the story, this is in 1744, there was a peace treaty between Virginia and some neighboring tribes. And a scholarship fund was set up at Williamsburg College to educate uh, six uh, kids from the, the Indian tribes. Right? Isn't that wonderful? How kind of the white man. So if these, these, uh, this, this neighboring tribe would just send down six of their young lads to go to college, then the government, the white man's government, would, would take care of them, provide them uh, an education, instruct them in the ways of the white man, pay for everything, everything's taken care of. You don't have to worry about it at all, savages. Now, the, the natives had a custom at the time to not respond to anything right away because that would be, uh, be disrespectful if they said, no. Right? So, so the, the, they wait a day, right? Because they want to create this image that we are uh, contemplating it. We're considering it deeply uh, with our families, right? So they didn't respond. So they waited a day. And they came back the next day. And the Indian chief went back. And he went on and on about how kind this offer was. He wasn't a jerk. Very, because it was kind, right? So it's kind offer from you men of Virginia. Uh, he says, we know how highly this type of learning is, is, is esteemed uh, by you. So very generous of you, very, uh, it's a lot of money. So we're grateful, but uh, no thanks. This is Ben Franklin telling of, of the, the, the chief's response. 
The chief said, we have had some experience of it, meaning your education. Several of our young people were formerly brought up at the colleges of the northern providences. They were instructed in all your sciences. But when they came back to us, they were bad runners, ignorant of every means of living in the woods, unable to bear either cold or hunger. They were weak, knew neither how to build a cabin, take a deer, or kill an enemy. They spoke our language imperfectly, were therefore neither fit for hunters, warriors, nor counselors. They were totally good for nothing. We are, however, not the less obliged by your kind offer, though we decline accepting it. And to show our grateful sense of it, if the gentlemen of Virginia will send us a dozen of their sons, we will take great care of their education, instruct them in all we know, and make men of them. How good is that? How great is that response? Could you imagine being one of the Virginians and, <laughs> and that's the response back? Like, ah, oh, brutal. So what can we learn today? Well, do we make men of our boys today? Do we make men of our boys? No, not even close. The natives did. And I think one other thing that I think we should, we should take a lesson from the natives, and also, by the way, from the pilgrims. I'd be remiss if we do a whole special on Native Americans without talking about the pilgrims specifically, although we should do an entire special on the pilgrims too. But one lesson we can learn from both is not only the raising of boys to be men, because that you have to do that. You have to become a man. Camille Paglia made the point that going from a girl to a woman is it's like biological. But going from a boy to a man, you have to become one. And we're not intentional about that anymore. The natives and the pilgrims were. Also, then there was a muscular Christianity movement in the mid-1800s, but that's another special. Christianity today, another lesson we can learn from the natives and the pilgrims, is that Christianity today has embraced materialism. Remember, Franklin said that the natives saw what we focused on and what we lived for. They saw it as frivolous and useless. I think in many ways they were right. In many ways. Listen, I'd rather grow up in our Western culture than in Iroquois culture. But there are things that we can grab from that Iroquois culture, that native culture, that are good. Many Christians have taken the view that being a Christian is, is uh, it's good So because now I'll be more successful in my career and I'll pray that I make more money. Or whatever. No, no, the natives were not materialistic and our pilgrims weren't either. We, like the pilgrims, need to have a heavenly mindset. Strong, focused, disciplined here on earth, yes, of course. But also knowing that all of us, even 400 years after the pilgrim, are merely pilgrims in this world. And we should be heavenly minded in all we do. Materialism can distract from that. The natives were right. The materialism can distract from that. And where maybe natives worshipped earth, right? We worship the creator of earth. There's nothing frivolous and useless about that. Politics by Faith is the name of the podcast. We dedicate a whole week over Thanksgiving to lessons we can learn from the pilgrims and how we need to live more like the pilgrims. I don't mean like, I don't know, with like the hats, 
and the belt buckles. And so I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the log cabins. But just the posture and the mindset and the worldview of the pilgrims is something we all need uh, much more of in our culture today. Politics by Faith is the name of the podcast. Hope you enjoyed our special today on the Native Americans. Mike Slater, the first TV. Spread the word. Thank you.